Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this is an independent podcast supported entirely by our patrons, who get monthly forecasts about all the latest astrological cycles, monthly horoscopes for each zodiac sign, and a brand new perk for the Vestatier called Stellar School. It's a bi-monthly series of astrology lessons that's both beginner-friendly, but also a great deep dive for intermediate and advanced mystics, too. One of the biggest questions I get asked is, where do I start? And this is my answer. It premieres on February 11th with the Aquarius New Moon, of course. And topics already scheduled include the luminaries, that's the sun and moon, the benefics, Venus and Jupiter, the malefics, Mars and Saturn, and understanding aspects, which is one of the FAQs of all time. If that sounds like your cup of tea, head over to patreon.com slash badastro to join the inner circle. You'll also help us meet our goals of starting a Discord server for patrons, doing monthly videos, and of course, support the high quality research and production that goes into every single one of our shows. If you're looking for a more personalized look at your natal chart or astrology practice, my books are also open for one-on-one readings and apprenticeship work too, which you'll find at ameliaquint.com, and I would love to work with you. Also, if you love this podcast, the absolute best way to show your support is to leave a five-star review on iTunes telling other people what you loved about Bad Astrologers. It's a magic spell for the algorithm that helps this podcast find its way to other powerful mages just like you. And it's free. Also, make sure to follow the show at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to make sure you never miss a release. Now, on to the episode. Today's guest, Sabrina Monarch, is an evolutionary astrologer. Evolutionary astrology is a fascinating and important branch of star study that uses Pluto and the lunar nodes alongside the outer planets, Uranus and Neptune, to reveal deep truths about your soul's development, and she expresses these profound insights with grace and ease on her show, The Magic of the Spheres, on her YouTube channel, and of course, in our talk. When she discusses transformation, it never feels overwhelming or scary. Instead, it's full of magic and possibility. But when your ascendant, Mercury, Venus, and Mars are all in Pisces, like hers, it's impossible not to see the beauty and mysticism in everything. In our conversation, she talks about how she found her way to this unique craft and how we can all use it to better understand our place in an uncertain world. It's a good one. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and let's start the show. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you so much for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Hi, Amelia. Thank you for having me. I'm so looking forward to chatting with you about all things evolutionary astrology and Pluto, one of my favorite planets, um, and the lunar nodes. But before we dive into all that, I want to ask you the traditional bad astro question, which is... um, What's your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual, whether that's like astrology, tarot, or something else entirely? Wow, I love that question. (laughs) So, I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind is the experience of deja vu. Yeah. And 
basically having deja vu, asking my mom what it was and her explaining to me that it had something to do with the brain. But in my mind, feeling like, no, I definitely just experienced two different frames of time or told the future. And I'm, I'm certain about this. Um, so that was the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think I also was really in love with like um, bugs and like butterflies and roly polies. And I don't know, I just felt this like, especially when I was older, like around nine, this really intense love of butterflies and had a mystical experience with them, which I also didn't at the time necessarily think of as mystical, but it was kind of bookmarked for me to look back on later as, okay, that was definitely magical that the entire monarch migration came flying down my street. They had to navigate through the maze of the suburbs. They were like an hour away from their normal migration path. And it was a year that I was obsessed with them. So that is so beautiful. I mean, how magical is that? I mean, they just wanted to come and visit you. They couldn't stay away, right? (laughs) (laughs) I am. I feel like we should give the audience a little bit of background about your chart because you and I share um, some really interesting Pisces things going on. So yeah, I was looking at that sinistry. I know. I don't think I've ever met anybody that had, um, so you're an Aries sun, Taurus moon, and Pisces rising, but you're like a super Pisces. So you have all three personal planets there. So Mercury, Venus, and Mars. And then your Mercury is exactly conjunct your Venus. And that conjunction is exact on my Mars at 29 degrees, which is also very karmic and feels very spooky. So yeah. I saw that too and saw the Venus opposition as well and just that really like awesome grand mutable cross in your chart too. Yes, I love her. She's great. It took me um, a long time in a reading with Mystic Medusa, who I adore, to explain that it was actually a good thing. But that's what astrology is for. You got a reading from Mystic Medusa. Oh my gosh, yes. It was back in 2012, and um, I wrote to her, this is like OG astrology stuff. (laughs) Um, I was early in my studies, maybe like two years in at that point, and I wrote to her thinking, I was like, I have all these mutable T-squares in my chart, because the astrology software I was using at the time, I was using AstroTheme, it didn't show the fourth leg because of the orb um, was a little bit wide. I think it's like eight degrees. Um, And she wrote back, uh, I believe the quote was, um, when you use astro.com, you have a grand mutable cross, which is amazing. Don't expect me to feel bad for you for this genius gift. Um, And I was so (laughs) amused by her humor, (laughs) Mercury and Aries candor. Um, and also it just like, it totally reframed everything about, um, it's still tough. There's still like crisis moments, but I, it definitely felt really validating and astrology can be powerful like that. Right. Totally. Um, (laughs) But for you, I feel like the Pisces Mars experience is such a, I've described it to people as like, it gives you Disney princess energy. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> it's so true. Like just the other day I was sitting at an outdoor uh, meeting, like everybody was masked, but uh, a ladybug came and just like sat on me and landed on my mask. And then I like picked it up and, and shoot it away. And everyone was like, wow, are you like Belle or Cinderella or something? But for you, I say all that to say that like having all the monarch butterfly migration, take a detour to visit your house, like only a Neptunian person could have that happen. That is truly and deeply magical. Oh, I love that. um so I was I'm very curious and I hope you're okay with me asking about this on your website you mentioned a couple of places where um you know I know in your podcast you mentioned being a clairvoyant and you said that at 21 you had a spiritual emergence experience and you talk about initiatory experiences what was that like was that sort of constellating around your Neptune placements or, or how did you experience that? Wow, yeah. So at that time, I was also reading Mystic Medusa's blog. Um, <gasps> yes. All the time. It was the zap zone, as she calls it, with Uranus-Pluto square. Oh my God. Uh-huh. And so what had occurred was that I, I didn't really know how to read transits for myself yet. Mm-hmm. So I relied on astrology websites to tell me, you know, give me transit reports. And I had become really fascinated with the transit of Jupiter square my natal Mars, which I don't even know if I was correct in the timing of it, <laughs> but I was under the impression that it was happening. And the interpretation told me that a massive opportunity was about to come my way and that I might overestimate my capacities, um, take on more than I could handle, make a disastrous error in judgment. And then they were like, but it's a Jupiter transit. Have fun. It's manna and nectar of the gods. Go out and do things. Have experiences, you know. So I I followed suit. Um, I, I went out a lot and was pretty social. And I had this sense that something really profound and magical was about to happen. And it's definitely, you know, kind of like a long and involved story. But essentially, one morning, I woke up from a dream about Jupiter. And then that night, through a series of synchronicities, ended up late to my best friend's birthday party. There were Mm -hmm. no seats left at the table. They had asked the man at the table next to them if he wouldn't mind sharing. And so I'd sat down next to him and wouldn't have struck up a conversation with him had it not been for the girl on my right whispering to me, that man over there is strange. He talks in weird accents. I've seen him here before. And so, you know, earlier in this day, too, I had had, um, you know, just for some backup on this story, I had this... (laughs) weird moment where I felt upset and uncomfortable for no reason. And I had this Mm. channeled like sensation. I I must look up moon opposite Pluto. (laughs) So I looked it up. It says, you know, this person is intense and psychic and has this ability to skillfully extract information from others like a spy. Such a person should take care to engage earnestly with others. So here I am at the birthday party and I get this interesting information and I'm like, I'm going to talk to this man and see what his accent is like and see what I can find out. So I'm in the middle of having a conversation with him 
when I notice that he has a stack of books and one of them, you know, says astrology across the binding. And I asked him if he was into astrology and he looks at me and he's like, I'm Jupiter. <laughs> Whoa. And, um, you know, in that moment, my instinct was to just kind of smile and have this secret to myself, you know, but mm -hmm. the moon Pluto opposition thing came to my mind. And so I said, oh, I dreamt of Jupiter this morning. And then I began, you know, this epic friendship and romance with this person. Um, and uh, it was like a really intense experience. Um, he was an ex-CIA agent uh, and wow. had a lot of like <laughs> war stories and um, it was just a very kind of intense uh, relationship in a lot of ways and like very magical, very psychic, very different than any you know, I had been having kind of magical Neptunian experiences my whole life, but I had never had like a companion in that space or someone who, you know, he was very fervently magical. He mm -hmm. talked about the magical realm. He believed in magic. Um, he spoke of what it was like to, you know, forget magic or become kind of too conditioned by this world, essentially. So I, I started to have an awakening that set upon me in this very dramatic way where I don't really feel like I had the um, necessary intellectual frameworks to comprehend or to process what was happening. And um, mm. essentially, you know, we have trauma, <laughs> like people on the planet, <laughs> like everyone has trauma just for existing here and even just like being born and going through right. that, you know, birth portal. So I, I, I was just really processing a lot of stuff from my life and I didn't, um, didn't really know how to deal with it. Cause on the one hand I was like really alive and like full of life and in love and having this like magical otherworldly experience and being psychic all of the sudden, um, mm -hmm. and being validated and seen at a really deep level all of the sudden, but also just kind of processing things about, uh, myself and my life that uh, were really challenging. And I basically just kind of spoke about my experience without a lot of filter and um, got in trouble with that. Uh, my family was concerned about me. They asked me to see a psychiatrist. They were financially supporting me. And I had to go home, uh, see this psychiatrist, you know, leave college. Um, so that was like a, a pretty rock bottomy <laughs> kind of experience yeah. because I suddenly had no power in my life. Like um, I kind of just had to play the game and do what these authority figures were saying. And um, yeah, I kind of got this bizarre inside look at like mental health in America kind of vibe um, mm -hmm. because my psychiatrist didn't believe in no, I don't think that his philosophical or metaphysical framework could hold anything that I was experiencing. So it just became pathologized. So after, you know, that was a pretty deep contraction. And when I was able to kind of successfully fake my way out, though it took me six months, go back to college, um, I just started to really steadily study evolutionary astrology and, um, 
evolutionary astrology is what helped me like see light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. and just continue to kind of study things like law of attraction or manifestation and spiritual devotion and find my way back into this magical realm that I had glimpsed, lived in, and then kind of been sucked away from and pulled into this like other fold. And yeah, so I think that that, you know, that's kind of how I would sum it up. Yeah, absolutely. I First of all, thank you for sharing that story. I know um, the ways that we, we find magic or find astrology or find these experiences can be complicated and they can include a lot of trauma or they can be a conduit through which we face our trauma alongside other traditional therapies too. Um, but I'm really curious about how did evolutionary astrology, you said it acted as a slight at the end of the tunnel, like how did that become a part of your life and, and your practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so while I was in this experience, you know, stuck at home, I had reached out to an astrologer, an evolutionary astrologer for insight. And that was really helpful because I had really, I had experienced something that was to me out of this world. And mm -hmm. my parents didn't understand it. The psychiatrist didn't understand it. Um, and even just people that I talked to and like friends were like, wow, that, that sounds amazing. And I, you know, I believe you, I'm on your team, but it's like, I didn't really know people yet that could totally relate. And the astrologer that I spoke to kind of helped me start to conceptualize my experience. And then as I was studying the archetypes, I learned so much about, you know, like the transpersonal planets relating to these magical kind of beyond experiences. And yeah. I learned about my North node, being in Capricorn and about Saturn and about the necessity of boundaries in this reality and, you know, cause and effect. I think that um, growing up, like my idea of cause and effect was kind of limited to social stuff, like do extracurriculars and get good grades and you can get into college kind of cause and effect. Right. And it didn't really mean that much to me. Like, I, I saw it, but it felt kind of flimsy, like a house of cards or something. And when I learned about karma from like the Saturn perspective and started to connect that with teachings around manifestation, it made me realize that like reality is magical all the time and we're always weaving fate and like that the way that we participate with reality can have an influence or an impact on the future. And so that gave me a sense of existential or like spiritual faith or kind of hope or excitement about life because I felt um, like I had some agency. And even then when studying Pluto, you know, it's so much about what are your unconscious complexes and how do they compromise you? And so like for me, needing to be believed and wanting people to understand me was part of my uh, downfall in that situation because had I just believed in my magical experience and been able to contain it, um, I wouldn't have been speaking in the way that I was and, mm. you know, wouldn't have gotten in trouble like that. So it kind of started me on a path of what would it mean to believe myself and like build a magical reality and not need anyone to validate me but also like, what is my soul want in this lifetime, you know, and like really play, paying attention to those dreams and fantasies and thinking about 
you know, how does the chart show different ways that you can participate and kind of live up to your, your promise, like your destiny? Yeah. I love this idea of participation that you just mentioned, because I think that's such an important word in, in every part of astrological practice. You know, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me like, oh, well, I have a terrible chart or my chart is fucked, so I can't blank. Um, that is just not true, right? And I think um, yeah. finding through evolutionary astrology these powerful tools to help you realize that, yeah, you can participate in your own life is a really important piece of that. So for those people listening that might be new to the idea, can you describe what evolutionary astrology is just to sort of like set the table for folks? Sure. Evolutionary astrology is a form of astrology that looks at the natal chart as a reflection of the soul's ongoing evolution. So reincarnation and a multi-lifetime, you know, many lifetime journey is a, implied in this form of astrology. And there is a kind of mythology that goes along with that, which is... Um, I think, you know, maybe some similar to other belief systems around reincarnation. There's this idea that we we all come from source and source is essentially just the the source of everything. So it's um, kind of like the difference between what's ephemeral, what's temporary versus what's ultimate. And just if anything can be sensed or touched or tasted, um, if it has a life and then dies, you know, it's this temporary form. So kind of looking into where does all that come from? And source itself um, gives birth or gives rise to all these individual emanations, all these individual sparks of creation, all these people, um, mm -hmm. trees, animals, um, inanimate objects, like everything essentially. So for the soul, the human soul, which is really what evolutionary astrology looks at, particularly, it's looking at indicators in the chart of like, what kinds of desires do you have that is the wave that you're writing across multiple lifetimes. So this lifetime is just a fractal of a lot of other lifetimes that you've had that are going through similar themes. Um, mm. And so that's kind of like, if we look at the moon, um, as maybe your rhythm in this life or like personal rhythms, Pluto is going to be this deeper, okay, like multi-lifetime arc, um, your desire nature. And then the lunar nodes will tell a story about what kinds of vehicles, like what kinds of personalities have you inhabited in order to live out this desire. So I think that this form of astrology sets up this really beautiful meditation of looking for connections between your desire and your purpose and your dharma and all the things that have occurred in your life, all the circumstances that you were born into um, as the kind of material that you incarnated into to work with, whether it was material that feels like really uh, like a blessing, like a gift that you kind of inherited in this lifetime, or maybe some of your adversity or deepest challenges that the ways that you have engaged them have forged you in some way. So mm -hmm. I think it's a, um, 
you know, in addition to there being techniques to come across this information, I think it's a form of astrology that really opens up a conversation between the ego, the personal self, and the deeper being that, you know, has been here before and will be here again. I love that so much. And I think that is, again, so important. Um, And I'm really fascinated by the way it can sort of help you understand the deeper underlying themes of your life. Um, One thing that I've heard you talk about before briefly, but um, it's a little bit of a new concept to me, uh, is the idea of Pluto and evolutionary astrology being your inherent gift to the world on your soul's journey, Um, which stands out to me so much because I think usually Pluto is often associated with darkness and danger, and I'm, I'm sure it can also be desire too, but how does Pluto represent gifts in your practice? Oh, I love that. Um, so this is kind of having me think about um, Hillman, James Hillman, his concept of how we grow down, like that we are born here, but then we kind of throw roots down and that a lot of the deeper dramas and swampiness and crisis and anything that we think of as plutonic in that like negative way um is also soulful and a lot Mm -hmm. of um you know I love like when you meet someone who has like a really powerful charisma and presence and they feel grounded and magical and maybe they're they're a teacher or like a a yogi or they just kind of have like a presence and you find out about their life story and it's like they've been through some stuff (laughs) and that stuff that they've been through (laughs) is part of what makes them so epic So the treasure and the, you know, Pluto, like literally means wealth and riches. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is like, you know, this jewel, this like gift that you have. But I think that it's also, um, you know, part of the Plutonic journey is like magnetism and attraction and repulsion. And I think that um, the gift that Pluto represents in some sense it's like a path getting there. Um, Like I think about, you know, like one of the Pluto themes could be someone with Pluto in the fifth house or Pluto in aspect to the sun. And this could be a person that, you know, their creativity has been potentially, like not all the time with the signature, but often uh, stifled in some way. Like they weren't really validated in a significant way as a child or, they were actively discouraged. And yet, like Pluto persists, <laughs> their creative impulse persists. And the form, the art that they make has this complexity or this kind of, you know, plutonic depth to it. And the power of them still stepping into their solar presence and power is a transmission that's felt through the art. Um, so I think the kind of gift that Pluto represents, it's like, it's powerful and sometimes hard won. Um, Mm, And there's mm -hmm. been some resistances and challenges like along the way to it a lot of the time. Yes, I will um, co-sign all of that. I have a Sun-Pluto conjunction in Scorpio, which I'm sure you saw in that that pretty much oh, yeah. uh, word for <laughs> I forgot word. About that. I didn't mean to just <laughs> I was, read I, was you. <laughs> I don't know if you were like reading me. It felt like you were, but in a good way. That's um, 
it's so interesting because that is incredibly incisive um, in a really lovely way um, that that definitely delves into the deeper themes of like the why behind I do what I do and ostensibly the why behind why anybody would do um, what they do. And for all of my love of um, mythology and looking at Greek translations, um, the idea of Pluto as wealth and riches, I never applied that to, um, you know, potentially being an area of richness or, um, you know, hidden lucre in your chart, right? Um, so I'm also curious about, like, the action of Pluto. So I remember on Kira's podcast, y'all were talking about, um, and I forget who the original source was for this, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I think it might have been Austin Kopic. Pluto making big things small and small things big. Um, but I think Pluto is a planet that people often fear, right? It's like death or the grim reaper. So people see Pluto coming and they're like, oh God, what's going to happen to me next? Um, but being someone who works so closely with Pluto, like how do you see the energy of Pluto working in the world, whether it's like in the lives of your clients or just in the world around you? Hmm. Yeah, Pluto transits and Pluto experiences aren't like a walk in the park, <laughs> they're yeah. not easy. Um, they can be sexy and intriguing, though. Like, I think that mm. there's, um, like, if you're encountering someone who you experience an intense spark with and you feel so activated by them, like, that's a Plutonic experience. Like, Pluto is about attraction and repulsion. I think that Pluto, um, it... It can bring about like an ego death. Like, so if there's something mm. in life that, you know, it's time to let go of and we're holding on and we don't want to let go of it, then it feels more cataclysmic um, when the transit or when the moment comes. So I think working with Pluto um, intentionally or over time can there can be a different way that Pluto is experienced because of that level of intentionality. And I think that a lot of people are engaging Pluto without doing it through astrology, like people that um, are really into studying power dynamics or psychology or who are investigative in some way. Um, yeah. I think that really... Pluto, one of the challenges with it is just to locate where our security is coming from. And if we're placing our security on something that's not really ours to to drive or control, like let's say it's another person, you know, then then Pluto can act as more of like a manipulative thing or as the sense of feeling like the rug is pulled out from underneath us because something that we placed ultimate importance on you know, has left our lives in some way. So I think that Pluto can really bring about humility, um, but it can relate to parts of ourselves that are just like kicking and screaming, like we don't want this to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and that's, it's just, you know, the soul sometimes wants something different than the ego or the higher self wants something different than the ego. And I think that um, Pluto, you know, can really, inspire us to be a lot more deeply honest with ourselves um, because it will, you know, just kind of come through and like clear things um, in some way. And sometimes we can 
logically understand, you know, and other times we really are like shocked. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is that because Pluto does work on that subconscious level sometimes, um, I've definitely seen and also experienced the shocking nature of Pluto when you were like, uh, I didn't even realize I was um, so attached to this in this way. Um, and then right. like you said, there's a rug pulling and, you know, gnashing of teeth or whatever it might be. Um, but usually it, it leaves you in a, I don't want to say better than you started. It's definitely not a Jupiter type experience, but it fundamentally changes you. It like alters your DNA or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like very, very profound. And I'm curious. So this year has been a very Pluto, like 2020 has been very Plutonic. It's been Pluto fueled with the Saturn Pluto alignment early in the year and then the three Jupiter Pluto alignments this year. So, as a Pluto person, like how have you seen that working on a broader scale? Yeah, you know, I I feel too with Pluto, it's a process of moving toward or moving away, like Mm -hmm. Um, so thinking about things that you want to bond with and engage with and form deep connection with versus what you want to maybe, um, detach or cut off from. And the Saturn Pluto conjunction, I feel like really from, you know, astrologers have been just talking about it for a long time before it happened, (laughs) it was going to be a hard year and, I think that, you know, Saturn relating to authority um, and boundary and Saturn Pluto together can be massive contractions, like either in a natal chart, you know, psychological contractions or um, historical ones, a pandemic. Um, Mm. So I think that something that I find really interesting about this year is this the crisis that this transit is for like is (laughs) is different for people some people Mm. have been largely unaffected in certain ways um and you know it depends like like for me as an astrologer who's been working remotely for years it's like my work environment didn't change um so you know i was like really lucky and like privileged in that way and I feel that there was kind of a, a cloak or this kind of like iron cloak, like descending on the collective energy, um, like a dampening where there's a sense of really like commiserating that this is like the worst year ever. And <laughs> what I think is like, you know, for some people, it really has like hit home in a much deeper way or like created in economic insecurity. And so that's real. Um, on the other hand, I think that Saturn is about, you know, how we how we structure things. Um, and Pluto is like the psyche. So this has also been an opportunity for some to reconsidered some of our psychological constructs. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that having all this time, you know, at home um, or socializing less and just being in this kind of contracted moment 
that could be a hellscape for some people psychologically. And there has been a lot of mental health struggle through this year. Um, it could also be a time for a discovery or working on something or taking the time with something that one hasn't had the time for. And so I think that the Pluto, um, Pluto side of it is like, we, we had a death of the status quo. There hasn't been the capacity to just go out and have like a normal year. Like we've all been in the same uh, unprecedented kind of time period. And I think that there's a lot of um, fecundity, if that's the word, like fertility in that, um, as well as, you know, depending on one's attachments, you know, both emotional and practical, to the world running as normal, um, it could have felt more cataclysmic, um, you know, depending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just sitting with, I just jotted down where you were talking about um, Pluto and Saturn is transforming your relationship to time. And of course, like the psyche as well, since we've had this time to just enforced to be with ourselves um in a good way we want everyone to be safe um and look after uh other people and wear masks and all of that um but yeah I think you're right I think the the death of the status quo is this really really profound thing and and I do think it is interesting how the Jupiter Pluto alignments have kind of they came after that to I don't know whether it's reinforce or at least exaggerate the effects and show us like how we could be doing it differently or demand our attention in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Exaggerate the effects for sure. (laughs) Um, There's those lovely graphs that show um, how it sort of peaked with the pandemic, but sometimes Jupiter does work like that, like exaggerating the effects of things to make you look at it you know um totally speaking of jupiter since we're sort of talking transits a little bit um since you're the super pisces uh maybe the most pisces person i've ever spoken with um i'm curious what are you thinking about jupiter coming up in pisces in summer 2021 and beyond and and what advice would you give us for this uh hopefully exciting Neptunian period. (laughs) Well, uh, to be honest, like uh, with the modern rulerships, I've really related to Neptune as like the Pisces ruler. So it's actually like a newer kind of lens for me to consider Jupiter as the ruler of Pisces. But I I feel the vibe, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) And I also, I haven't really looked at Jupiter moving through Pisces Um, but I do feel like something that I've wondered about is like, so the great depression and the sense that, um, I'm not sure when that was, it was like in the twenties, a hundred years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. That the generation that went through that like they had this trauma that they carried throughout life about being re- like saving money and being really frugal. Yeah. Um, at least that's the story, you know, that I heard and that that was like a generational kind of trend. And I think that with the pandemic and the sense that, you know, we've all gotten used to like not shaking hands and not hugging and 
like avoiding people in the grocery store, Uh, like hugging the edges of the aisle to stay away from people, you know, for people that care, because there's some people don't. (laughs) And you can tell, I guess, when you're in spaces. Um, But I, I really wonder, like, if Jupiter and Pisces will be the time that that ice kind of thaws. Like, I do think, like, I mean, I don't know what the timing is going to be like in terms of, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. a mundane astrologer who makes predictions like that. But I think that there may be some kind of healing and just kind of rejoicing. And and when I think about, like, the – you know, it's funny, like, even, like, when Trump got elected originally in 2016, I imagined the – the rejoicing in the streets when he was out of office. (laughs) And then when Biden just won, um, there were pictures and like videos of people like cheering out the window. Yeah. uh, Like all over the world. Yes. Yeah. And I think that Jupiter and Pisces will have an energy like that of just rejoicing and celebrating and, um, feeling the magic, you know? And I think like for me, magic is like, the most important thing to me, magic and enchantment. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I feel really connected to that even now. Uh, But the collective mood is definitely not like a magical moment. And so Mm -hmm. I think that when Jupiter is in Pisces, the sense of magic might feel more like a lot more accessible and present. That is incredibly beautiful. And I completely agree with that. Um, I love what you mentioned about the traditional versus modern uh, chart rulers or assign rulerships. I use both. Um, And so I'm especially, especially curious about what's going to happen when we have Jupiter eventually um, conjuncting Neptune and Pisces um, on into 2022-2023 territory. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. I'm hoping that all of, like you said, the rejoicing and the partying and the magic that we didn't do this year will all just get to come together as a world and, I don't know, dance through the streets like the Disney princesses we are. Um, (laughs) Yes. If we're we're lucky, like, that's that's what will happen, I think. Um, While we're talking about magic, so you've talked a lot about magic and enchantment, and I love both of those words, and I'm also um, a magic plus astrology person. Um, What role does magic and and your view of the world as a magical place play in your astrology practice, or like, what are the ways in which that intersects? I love that question. I think that it's been really interesting to learn like new age kind of teachings alongside astrology from the beginning, because in the astrology world, when transits are happening, we talk about the potentials and we're, we're getting very specific. We talk about, you know, what could be difficult, Mm -hmm. um, but in the new age community, it's like, today's your day. Every day is a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, very different. Yeah. And I find that there's people that really ride a wave where they're just like in the magic and they they focus on what they like and their, their gratitude practice and they um, 
amplify joy and excitement in their life. And you see the consequences of that. And so I Mm -hmm. think of that as kind of like Saturn, like Saturn is karma and the crystallization of patterns over time. And so I think that with astrology, um, especially when I began to write like forecasts, I was really cognizant that I didn't want to write fear-based forecasts. Um, And I would have the experience of certain transits or certain planetary placements come up and I just felt repulsed. Like I was like, I don't, I don't like this sign or I have this problem with this planet and this sign. And I, I did inner work on that um, to kind of transmute that and engaged with the planets with this mental and spiritual construct that everything was like divinely perfect that every energy has its place and that it's only, you know, like I can learn to understand and love anything. And that kind of made me perpetually excited about transits because I would, I would look for, you know, okay, what's challenging, what's going to be difficult here and what's the magical opportunity. And like, how can I build a bridge between those two things? Um, So I think that, um, that kind of cosmic optimism while, you know, Piscean and Jupiterian in nature, definitely. I think that I learned that a lot from kind of other spiritual teachings outside of astrology and combined them. That is so interesting. And I, I'm exactly the same way. We both have Jupiter ruled ascendants. So mine is Sagittarius Mm. and yours is Pisces. So I wonder if that sort of like ruthless optimism as a life philosophy is like de rigueur, it's required um, to exist in that way. <laughs> For sure, um, yes. <laughs> and we also, we both have our um, chart ruler, Jupiter, in detriment in the seventh house, both of us. So yours is Virgo and mine is Gemini. Um, but the, the way I would read that is, um, you know, I think that, we're able to find joy and optimism in times that other people would find challenging or maybe outright (laughs) repulsive or terrible or fucked or whatever the word is of the week trash. Um, So I really appreciate that optimism and what you bring forward. And I think it's so important and so healing. Oh, I really Um, like that delineation. Yeah, I love it. I love having Jupiter in the seventh. Like I, we both have podcasts where we get to talk to really cool people. Um, and I think that's a very seventh housey thing. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the moon's nodes before I let you go, because I know my audience and my patrons have been, they're so curious about lunar nodes and wouldn't you know it, it's actually, um, I need somebody to like write a modern Uh, book on the lunar nodes because they're kind of a point of contention in the conversation right now there's like the one side which is like you know the nodes are the axis of fate and it's not all rosy and wonderful and then the other side is more of the um, evolutionary bringing in the past life piece but with a little bit more of a new age flair of especially with a very very rosy view of the north node so I'm really curious, since I definitely vibe with um, so much in your practice, how do you conceptualize the lunar nodes and use them in your practice? 
I, yeah, I love how you just kind of depicted that, um, those differences in opinions on the nodes and in the different practices. And what's interesting too, is that as someone that really started engaging the North node in a very rosy kind of magical way of like, this is the key, you know, and like having yeah. this, you know, ambition toward it, that the North node actually archetypally does relate to ambition. It's the head of the dragon. And it's like, um, it is that sense of hunger for materialization and more and like incoming energy. And the South node as the tail of the dragon is like, I think of it as like the tail of the dragon sweeping up debris on the ground and like kicking it up into the air. And the South node you know, represents past life themes that will often reconstellate in our first, you know, 29 years of life. Um, mm -hmm. So the South node isn't just something bad that you have to let go of. Um, the only part about it that's like worth becoming really aware of, well, not the only part, but <laughs> as far as it being <laughs> bad, um, is that um, it's kind of like being in Groundhog Day and doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and perhaps even more so, like also setting certain consequences into motion. So if, if you've been doing things a certain way for multiple lifetimes, it's like your personality creates your personal reality and it's a snowball effect. And the North Node then has a kind of liberating potential within it of it being other personality qualities that you could engage with to kind of round out your experience or kind of break free from the limitations of the past. Um, on the other hand, if, if one just tries to completely go towards their North node and like directly try to abandon the South node, it doesn't, um, it doesn't really work very well. <laughs> it just yeah. like in practice, it's not a good idea. Um, it's also really interesting to see if you have planets square the lunar nodes, um, because that means that you've vacillated between the extremes of the nodes. Um, I have a series on it on my YouTube channel about like the different squared nodes. Um, cause that's something I think a lot about. It's not, you know, if you haven't just gone from your South node to your North node, what does it mean to have gone back and forth between them and have this planet? squaring them hanging in the balance. So I think that that's worth knowing about, um, knowing the planetary rulers of the nodes. So those are like your, they give more information about the karmic storyline and the planetary ruler of the North node would also be an important planet to work with, um, in terms of, you know, manifesting the destiny within the North node. Um, I think, you know, it, I've been working with the nodes for years before being exposed to the idea of them as not being as rosy as I thought they were, which is really <laughs> interesting. Um, and I know that like the, I've experienced a lot of magic and transformation and shift in my life from becoming self-aware about what my patterns are and how I can grow. Um, and like, for example, like just as a story, like I have South node in cancer, North node in Capricorn. And so it's been a lot about learning like how to adult and like be mature and stuff like that. Definitely. And before I even knew about the nodes, there was this moment that like really rattled me. Like it's like a, 
a specific, you know, but basic thing, but I think that it rattled me because it was so connected to my nodal storyline. But I was on like a family trip and I was asking, like, is there a trash can nearby? Like I had some like trash in my hand and my brother just like seemingly out of nowhere was like, Sabrina, like you're not helpless. When you ask questions like that, you're making everyone else in the environment do this work for you. (laughs) And it shook me because um, it wasn't just that moment. It was like a general kind of attitude of like, will you take care of me? Like (laughs) that I had kind of going on with the South Node in Cancer Mm -hmm. Um, and dependency and like stuff that was really kind of causing pain in my life. So learning how to lean into the Capricorn North Node has helped me. You know, it's interesting, like people ultimately kind of want the things that are represented by their south node, but sometimes you have to go to the north node. So, yes, I would just love to be like uh, taken care of and feel cozy and warm and loved and all of that with like cancer stuff. (laughs) But (laughs) my path towards, you know, finding the people that I connect with at a really deep level has been a lot about public you know, stuff being, you know, career focused and, um, you know, learning how to create things consistently and like build, build something in my life and be entrepreneurial. Like that has all kind of created consequences that have led me back to receiving some of the things that I really desire. So I think looking at the nodes as like, these are vehicles of how you reach your desire and, our personalities and our egos aren't who we are. They're just kind of our assignment or the vehicle in this life for, you know, whatever Dharma that we have here. So I think that working with the nodes can be a really interesting reflection on not just like what you're here to learn, but how, like what kinds of archetypes will help you embody the personality traits that you need to have to like move toward your destiny or purpose. Mm. That is delicious and the best explanation of the nodes that I've I've heard maybe at all. <laughs> so thank wow. you so much for sharing. <laughs> um, it's just so practical, right? Um, and grounded in an experience, right? And that was such an interesting story um, and definitely very much um, related to that nodal axis. Um, I love that you described the cancer south node as like, will you take care? care of me it has definitely has baby energy um but like learning how to go towards the north node I think maybe a misconception that people have about the north node is it something that because it does have a more positive delineation is that it's something that's going to be comfortable to you um or feel good initially (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a hard no for me yeah (laughs) The first time that I uh, I got a reading, like an evolutionary astrology reading, the mm-hmm. astrologer told me, like, I think this had a lot to do with my Capricorn North Node. He's like, you don't, like, you're not very attached to structure. Like, you're not like a lot of other souls. Um, but mm. it would be important for you to learn about structure in this life. And I literally just looked at him and I was like, that sounds terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all that Cancerian, like... Uh, clutching my pearls like I have to learn structure (laughs) yeah yeah I'm the same way I have my um 
my south node in Virgo, where my, where I also have my Venus, so it's a very um, comfortable place for me. Um, and that Venus is on my midheaven, so it's also very much how people how people see me. It's a role that I feel good and positive playing. Um, but then I have uh, the Pisces north node and the fourth, which is like don't be so rigid. You still have worth and value, even if you didn't do it perfectly. Um, mm. It's been a complicated journey to get there. Learning how to, yeah, not, not make things so detail-oriented and just enjoy the creative flow of the artistic and spiritual process. Um, easier said than done, but being quarantined <laughs> for months has definitely given me the, the space to do it and it's kind of forced me to have to to think differently about it so yeah would I have picked it probably not am I glad that I moved more towards the Pisces uh north node situation definitely (laughs) oh that's beautiful yeah I feel um like even just this conversation has had such a warmth to it that feels like um being prepared, like being, you know, having your 10th house, like mid heaven pass, but like, we're just cozy and like having a like fourth house kind of conversation. Very much so. I'm literally, um, I'm sitting in my bed right now in my bathrobe, uh, just, just hanging out with my rose quartz and maybe a stuffed animal. So if that's not the fourth house, (laughs) (laughs) this is astrology and practice, everybody. Yes, absolutely. From the um, comfort of home. Totally. I, I do feel so lucky um, in a strange way that, that this year has allowed me and so many other people to connect with people and even do ritual across coasts and time zones. Um, never thought that mm. would be possible, but here we are. Um, this has been wonderful, and I will definitely link to all the videos that we talked about in the show notes, particularly about the bendings, which is super interesting to me. I've been researching that lately. Um, but if, you know, if this spoke to folks and they want to learn more about evolutionary astrology or want to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? What's the best way to reach you? So the best way um, is my website, monarchastrology.com. And there's like a pop-up and links on all of the posts to join my mailing list. And I have an upcoming course in evolutionary astrology intensive um, that is a several month course where we go over the foundations of the archetypes through the evolutionary astrology perspective. So these kind of magical Mm -hmm. wisdom teachings about all the signs and planets. Um, And we learn, you know, aspect, aspect theory, how to read natal charts, um, so it's a pretty comprehensive program and it's also, it's a live course. The, the modules are recorded, but we meet live. And so there's definitely like a community component to this class. Um, so if you go to my website, monarchastrology.com and click the tab that says study, that will take you to the evolutionary astrology course. Um, it begins in January of 2021. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch, Twitter at Sabrina underscore Monarch, and I have a podcast as well, Magic of the Spheres. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your magic with us this evening. This has been so much fun. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate the Piscean vibes from you as well. <laughs> Absolutely.